on this very special episode of Dad, You're Wrong. We are re-recording a part two we already did because part of the episode was lost, and that meant that we didn't have a full episode. But I think we should replace episodes that are lost anyway, and this one was a part two. So we're back for an episode no one else heard, but we're kind of working off the notes from what we did still have. So this episode might be a little weird. It will be a little bit weird, but that's okay. It'll be okay. We are nothing if not a little weird. Something like that. Anyway. <sighs> Zero, help me. I need a crutch. Let's do the intro while you think. Oh shit, you're right. By time, by time. Welcome to Dad, You're Wrong. Regularly ruminating on rhetorical reasoning for regaling irrational relations with the ramifications of reality. I'm Zero. I'm Chicory. People call me Chi. So, to recap, we were playing D&D proper, and the GM did a terrible Asian racist accent, and I tried to call him on it, and he was like, there aren't any Asians present or something like that. And then, later in the game, he threw in a non-player character as part of a gang of people that we needed to fight, and he was being funny, and he made like a she joke where the npc was suddenly a girl and then he said or they or whatever and then the other player character was trying to be nice and say like no it's like dehumanizing someone to call them an a they or an it and i was like no some people use the pronoun they they them theirs and i kind of made the flash decision not to say i'm one of those people uh, because of already having seen the reaction to being called out with not understanding that being racist is a bad thing, even when there are no other people around. So I just didn't want to start that shit. And that was kind of where we left off from the last game. We were this time we were going to talk about why I didn't want to do that and the ramifications of outing yourself and why sometimes it feels suspense and icky and not good to do that yeah that's a pretty decent sort of summary of where we ended up and where we're going with in this episode as a follow-up so something i want to ask do you think you would have felt comfortable with the they them conversation if you hadn't already had the yes racism is bad even if there are none of the people you're being racist towards around conversation Mm. You know, maybe. Like, these guys didn't seem like that bad of guys. So then, in terms of outing yourself, your concern was not specifically with outing yourself to these people until it was clear that these people, whatever they may have thought about themselves and their reputations in communities as tolerant individuals, they were not displaying that tolerance actively in a situation where they felt they didn't have to. Yeah. So I think just starting there is perhaps something that we can talk about in a general discussion beyond the actual, like, like we should talk about what you say to people after they've already dinged your trust a bit. Cause that's sort of what we're talking about is they had already shown themselves to be not entirely trustworthy. And then they did a thing where maybe you could have started a conversation there. I think this is 
what Dajarong hinges around is this idea that there are some people you can talk to and you feel like you can talk to. And one, your determination for who those people are is a lot more lenient than mine. And that's why you're going to have more of these stories. But you don't think that they became bad people just because they made that one joke. But it then scared off you from having perhaps a conversation like no one can see it. So they don't know that you're not from any part of Asia. No. So like making a joke about the RL sounds in Chinese and Japanese language, it offends you because you're not a terrible person, but it doesn't have the personal impact on you. Well, I mean, outside of some of your relatives, but in terms of personal impact, the second circumstance has a lot more personal impact on you than the first, but the first circumstance makes you less likely to come out to people. And then these are the people who might feel more betrayed. Like you didn't trust me to come out to me. And then it's really hard to point to all the little, what literally are microaggressions later when they're acting hurt now. Yeah. It's sort of a consistency issue that if you trip a little wire here and trip a little wire there, trip a little wire here, there, everywhere. I'm sorry. I, I don't know why I did that. Mm-hmm. It, it sounded like the song. You know what I mean? Oh, I see what you're saying. Ah, yes. Carry on. It builds up. So if you start with a baseline of like a scale of one to five, like a five scale of trust and, you know, you go up one because... You know, you're a nerd, but then you consistently make all of these small detrimental jokes or assumptions or all of these other sort of word plays or things that like maybe you think are a joke, but actually are pretty serious. They add up. It's sort of like gymnastics where they ding points. Oh. I don't know if I'm doing a good job describing this feeling. I think that that's actually a pretty good, like, there's a lot of talk about microaggressions and the way they hurt people, right? People who have a lot of microaggressions against them might be snappier with people who do things that hurt them because they're not really mad at that person. They're mad at all the legacy stuff they had to go through throughout the day. Because if you go off on someone on the bus versus if you go off on someone in your house, there's very different ramifications. And like, we're very concerned, and I think reasonably so. I don't want to make it sound like this is not a reasonable concern, particularly in some place like a con, which is a very public venue. It's very easy to get concerned about being seen as a troublemaker. And so once you had already called out for the bad accent thing, it then means that now that you're actually in your lane, you don't want to inhabit as much of that lane Because now it's like, well, everybody's here to have a good time. I cannot stop living the existence I lived. But at the same time, I don't want to be the person constantly dragging the table down because that's a lot of burden for me to bury. And I am also here to have a good time. And I think often people forget that, like, if I'm hanging out on Twitter and I make a comment about how people are causing problems... I didn't necessarily come to Twitter to pick a fight with a bunch of people about how people are causing problems, but other people are like, oh my gosh, why do you just hate everything? Are making this weird assumption that everything you do is based around the fact of everything that is done to you. And our identities 
as humans really shouldn't be wrapped up in this idea that we are what is done to us. Even though that is often how things are portrayed in reality, we cannot escape things that are done to us often, particularly after the fact, but other people often want to use those to define your existence. That took a left turn. That took a left turn. One should be the name of the episode, and two could have been the name <laughs> of this podcast. I'm sad we didn't. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, so how do you bring up these ideas that directly affect you in a way that doesn't seem like you're just doing this for attention because the other people at that table don't know which of these are like really important to you and don't know which of them are like you just standing up for the right thing because it's the right thing, which is weird to say. I mean, it's unfortunately a thing we have to put up with in society. But if you stand up for the right thing because not being a racist jerk is always the wrong choice. No, being a racist jerk is always the wrong choice, right? Oh, yes. Being a racist jerk is always a wrong, the wrong choice. Not being a racist jerk is apparently a difficult choice. Thank you. So, yeah, in that situation, you've set yourself up for the actual lane that you can argue from, from personal experience, to be more difficult by virtue of you being a good person earlier in the conversation. And I don't think those people were trying to trap you, but you've ended up in a very weird trap that our society sets up, where now it is harder for you to defend your identity because you were being an ally for someone else's identity, even when they weren't present. And so I think that a big thing in this situation to remember is that, well, one, the statement that do good things because they're the right things to do, particularly if you're more of the good type, which I think you definitely fall into more of like the D&D good alignment, at least than I do. But in general, do stuff that is good because it's the right thing to do. But when it comes down to really defending the lane you're in, don't be afraid to enter that lane as well. Because you, if you feel up to it, should be fighting in that lane. You're much more equipped to do it. You're being a good ally by helping other people fight. You're defending yourself and people like you by fighting for your own things. Both are good, and one would hope that by demonstrating what being an ally actually is, you would be gaining more allies at tables like this, particularly if you're at a home game or a table where you're going to run into these people over and over again. And they can remember that you're not just fighting for yourself. You're willing to fight for other people. I think sort of to like explain myself and my choice. And this is not necessarily a good thing. I think it's just like a weird, almost like a trope that it's easier to protect other people than it is to protect yourself sometimes. So if it's something that you have on the line... Because I'm white, I don't know if you can tell, but defending somebody who is not white, it's like it's no skin off my nose, right? People being a racist doesn't affect me. Or it does, but that's like kind of a different thing. We can unpack that statement later. We will. <laughs> but you kind of get what I'm saying, right? Like, yeah. it's not my lane, and it's not... 
it's like I'm not risking that much other than the goodwill of like my friends, but screw them for being racist anyways. Whereas if it's something that's like my identity, part of myself, and they're like, well, we're just going to write that off anyways and be fucking jerks about it, then it hurts me more. Does that make sense? Yeah, you're describing risk management. To a certain extent, I do want to say it is very clearly not the easy choice to not be racist slash bigoted. A lot of people actively don't make that choice. So I'll start out by saying don't necessarily sell yourself short for being willing to make that choice. The follow-up is that means you're using minorities as a shield for your emotions and you're not willing to risk your own emotions. Oh, I know. I knew that was coming and I knew it's not good. Look, okay. <laughs> because at the end of the day, essentially what you're saying, not subconsciously or unconsciously, but at least in a less conscious manner, you have an acknowledgement that if this person really doubled down on being insulting to a group you don't personally identify with, you can cut and run and just continue to have a good time and brush that moment aside. It will not personally affect you in the long term, which I think is what you were trying to say. At the end of the day, if you're on your way home, somebody's racism towards people who are not like you or bigotry or other things is very unlikely to affect you. And you know that. That's like something you have internalized. That in some ways what privilege is. Privilege is a lot of things. But you have the privilege that if somebody is super racist against brown-skinned people, it's not likely to actually affect your life on a regular basis. Like it's going to come up because it's part of American society, but you're not going to get pulled over for driving while black. It's not a thing you have to be the slightest bit concerned about. No. Which means... Yeah, it is actually easier for you than to stand up and say in a circumstance that's not you driving, people shouldn't be arrested for driving while black. Because at the end of the day, it costs you very little to say that. That's not the same as saying it's easy, but it does in fact cost you very little to say that. This is one of the Dan Harmonisms that I think that he kind of nailed. It should be really easy to not be a piece of shit just do less things <laughs> just do less things i mean to be fair that's always been my premise <laughs> my entire premise on this podcast is don't spend time with people cut people out of your life immediately for being <laughs> bad. so i no. support this <laughs> no but i mean like i think his point well and i'm translating this my interpretation of it the way that i try to exhibit this is being neutral to someone is less energy than like being polite to someone is less energy than being mean to someone is than to like believe that somebody is like not human you have to do so many mental gymnastics to say I think a lot of the things that racist people think. And if you just don't do that, it's a lot easier. And this is a left turn. Be ready. I'm pulling on the J break. But it's like people that really don't want the earth to be several billion years old. And so they make up all of these things to try to explain how evolution isn't a thing and how dinosaur bones are only a couple thousand years old because they only want the earth to be 6,000 years old. It's so many mental gymnastics to make that happen. That was definitely a left turn. <laughs> I'm sorry, tangent. I think it actually illustrates your point pretty well. I think that what it is for a lot of folks, 
that's really important to keep in mind if you choose to converse with them is that for them, this is easier to cling to. It is more comfortable, and I encounter this a lot with people I deal with on a day-to-day basis. It's not that you're wrong, you're right. It is easier to follow the truth than a lie because a lie, you have to keep all of your facts straight and the truth is relatively stable. Science is interesting because what we thought was real in science can change because science is designed to be challenged. But like once a consensus develops, because it has been challenged so heavily, it's pretty static. Mm -hmm. The fact that space-time is curved is not really a debate right now. It's a weird concept, but once you wrap your head around it, it's a thing that exists. You don't have to come up with new mental gymnastics to explain it. People already did those mental gymnastics, so you don't have to keep new information straight. You don't have to integrate it into a framework of lies. You just have reality. That being said, once somebody has their reality, they get real uncomfortable if you challenge that reality, particularly when you challenge that reality with the truth, because it's very difficult for them to disprove the truth. And very few people like the truth. So most of the time when two people are arguing about something, it's lies arguing with lies and it's easy to disprove lies. So at the end of the conversation, you're like, I just proved all their points. Therefore, my point is correct, which is not true. That's not always true. I think that's one of the cool things about science and maybe one of the why science takes so long sometimes is that you can disprove a theory much easier. Like science is not designed to prove theories. It's only designed to disprove theories. Yeah, it's true. That's probably the thing people get most confused about the word theory is that a theory is a question that science is asking. And then you throw experiments at it, not to prove the theory, but to disconfirm the theory. Basically, yeah. You have your equations and whatever you came up with that kind of like set the theory in motion. Like the most popular one is the theory of evolution, right? Where Darwin observes that all these birds are the same species, but some of them are real weird and different. And then people are like, I wonder if living in different parts of these islands changed these birds from the one bird that landed here. And then people are like, that sounds weird. How do we show people it's wrong? And then people just haven't for like 150 years. And so it's pretty much just people agree that that theory is true because we keep trying to disprove it. And it's like the evidence keeps pointing to this being right, not wrong. And so, yeah, yeah, sure. You can't prove it because it's science. Arguably, if you believe it's true, you're doing bad science. I was going to say, like, maybe something having to do with how... mm, I don't want to talk about that. I was thinking about, like, how science has basically been used for evil a lot of times with, like, phrenology. And I don't want to fucking talk about phrenology. Different episode. We should do that. We should do the pseudoscience and eugenics and racist science episode and people who still believe in them. We're going to have to see if we have any personal examples from, like, dealing with this. Or if people have letters... They should send in letters about people you like and want to keep talking to who believe in pseudoscientific explanations for uh, real racist ideas. And there are plenty still alive in the U.S. So I'll probably I can probably think of you. I just don't talk to those people anymore. Mm. Mm. Grumpy noises related to sort of this discussion about creatures changing and traits being done as defense. I remember one of the concerns that you had about bringing this idea up 
is the idea that you would be accused of trans trending or queer trending or any of these things where, oh, you're just, man, this argument is so weird. It is difficult for me to articulate it. You're just pretending to be not cis because it is popular to be not cis right now, which has like so many problems. It's difficult to articulate, but it's definitely a thing that some people not only believe, but will accuse others of. I think at least they have the concept of trans versus cis, which is, I found out at my work that not everybody even knows the word cis in 2018, which I guess maybe not everybody needs to. It's 2019. 2019? I don't know what year it is. 2019. It's it's the longest decade following the longest decade. Ugh. 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 Anyway, but yeah, one of my coworkers didn't know the word cis, knew the word trans. I had to define what a trans person is and how they're different from people in drag, which was a long and torturous conversation. Man, I wish I could have been there to listen to you do that conversation. <laughs> I think what Oh my gosh, I'm st- I think what I came up with was that um trans is who you are and drag is a pastime. Mm. You know, we should probably do an episode at some point for convenient metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? Basically, I had to like sum this up. I had to I sum know it about up the circumstance. at work. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. At work. Yeah. Yeah. And then this coworker basically didn't believe in the concept of people being non-binary, and I tried to use examples of people that are genetically intersex and how there are intersex pronouns and concepts in in other cultures and this guy was just having none of it just yeah none and it was rough yeah i mean we technically have an episode planned about those things it does bring up a good thing here though where it just i feel like it just makes that statement even weirder that you would be trans trending to be popular but it's okay because queer trending and trans trending isn't a thing right and you are i'm not i'm not gonna say i agree with everything you just said we can save that for later and we'll let the viewer we'll let the listener decide email chicory at oh no Dadger i'm gonna get a lot of hate mail i've all i've said this is the second strike of the episode okay second strike <laughs> you also can't put an apostrophe in an email but <laughs> we don't have that email are you gonna make that email oh no i i do think it's important to note particularly with what you said oh this episode, I'm definitely the dad, but also the least dad of the dads in this episode. I want to say. Yeah, you're doing fine. I think it is good for people. And I I will say that I don't know why we had no plans on any outline or discussion to talk about drag culture. But we should probably just add it to a future discussion. <laughs> but I'm going to say... For, for the sake of keeping this podcast a relatively reasonable length and not diverting too badly, that I personally think it is good for people to explore the spectrum of gender and sexuality and other spectrums that quote-unquote deviate from the norm 
I think it's good for people to explore those. And I think we are too hard on people who determine. I think that the problems for being a cishet white dude come more from the fact that a lot of cishet white dudes have put no time into examining what being a cishet white dude actually means. And I don't think it is positive to the community to punish people who examined their sexuality and examined their gender and discovered, for lack of a better term, that they were cis straight people. The LGBTQIA community has a real problem with coming down on people who say they are bi-curious, also who, they, there's a problem with bi people being discounted among LG circles anyway. But that aside, like, people who are bi-curious and then discover they are straight are not inherently bad, but they can certainly do bad things because they are people, not because they are exploring their sexuality. You should not treat other groups as a costume or as a means to an end. There's the stereotype of drunk people who make out with people of the same sex to entice people of the opposite sex. That is always bad, but that is bad because you are using people, not because you are challenging the spectrum of sexuality. And if you are pushing the bounds of sexuality in a genuine and honest way, or gender or other things in our society, I think that that sort of self-exploration is more healthy than not but you have to be honest with yourself about it. And that's where the problems come in, is that people are very bad at being honest with themselves. So most people go about this in a bad way. But the idea of immediately castigating someone because they are unsure about something is a problem in our society in general. I'm going to say no lies detected. <laughs> <laughs> no lies detected like it to me that scans i guess my original original question that we've strayed from was more i don't know if we even need to go back to like what to do in that sort of situation when you are surrounded by cishet dudes that are in their element when you're the only not cishet white dude at the table and sort of how to deal with that pressure because at least in the nerd community it's not the first time that that's happened to me where like I can remember being told that because I before I had the words for being non-binary I thought of myself as a female which is one of the nice things I think about labels is that, I don't know, I have a lot of conversation or mental conversations with my, one of my siblings that's like, labels are bad and like, why would you need all of these labels? And to me, the good thing about labels is that then you have words to be able to express how you're feeling and like how you identify and what you like and all of these good things. So being able to have the concept of being non-binary is really great because growing up in the Midwest, you only had two options, basically. Uh, I think my favorite quote on that is actually from Amanda Palmer, who's like, I've dated men, I've dated women, 
I believe in using labels to make conversations easier, so I'm okay with being called bisexual. I assume that that conversation was with your brother. No, my brother is the one who thought of me as being female and was like, well, you have to play a female character. Wow, you just you just threw him under the bus. <laughs> Look, he has grown a long way, okay? This was when he was like 15 and I was 13 and doing anything else was not a concept okay but but she... today in today's world in 2018 and 19 he is super understanding and supportive of me being non-binary and he's great okay not gonna stand up okay so <laughs> pretend that he wasn't an awful 15 year old that is actually an excellent story of how a person can grow and change from the time they are a teenager to the time that they are adult. <laughs> you might want to just, if this comes up in a situation that's not the podcast, give the clarifying information on timeline before you throw your brother under the bus. <laughs> because. <laughs> because what? <laughs> Oh, we're talking about this thing that happened. It happened recently. Also, here's something my brother did. What? Oh, but it was like 15 years ago. 17 years ago. <laughs> I'm not saying don't share that story. It's I'm a good so story sorry. of personal uh, growth for many look. people. But like context, this is something we can actually apply to dad drunk. Folks listening, when you are having conversations, <laughs> it is good to provide integral <laughs> context to the story. Before you share the bad part of the story. Because <laughs> otherwise people may get the hilariously wrong idea. <laughs> okay, but now we're sorted, right? My brother's gone back to being a good person. Everybody's is on the same page. In deference to your brother, I was actually shocked when you told me the first part of your story. Because I was like, wow, I actually thought he was a lot better than that. <laughs> So I was really surprised at how hard you were throwing him under the bus these days. But then it's like, I've, I've known you two for a long time. So I'm like, okay, no, I can totally see him saying that when he was 15. The story all made sense once context was provided. It was like, um, it was like a roller coaster, okay? It was definitely a roller coaster. You just wound me up to the top and then pushed everything off. And then it was ups and downs, ups and downs. Loop-de-loops. Where was I going with this? I have no idea. I'm sure it was somewhere exciting, though. Um, where was I going with it? Chi. Remember, Chi. You only had two options growing up in Nebraska, so you were discussing the value of labels as opposed to the classic Gen Xer idea of all labels are bad. Why would you want to put labels on yourself? It only constricts you. Yeah. So, back to the past where we were at the convention, and I didn't want to out myself because of all of this fucking history, and... I don't know. White guys, check yourself. Well, I think a good way to soft sort of, it's not really soft outing yourself, but like soft introduce this concept that's becoming more popular is, yeah, just roll in. And when you're in a situation, encourage people to ask for pronouns. And remember, it's not preferred pronouns. It's what are your pronouns? That's true. I think you called me on that last recording. Right. Which nobody heard. We could have seamlessly blended that Shit. in. But now... When you encourage people to tell you what their pronouns are, just at the top, one, you've already added yourself as a troublemaker, nailing it. But second of all, you can gauge their reaction. 
And related to one of the Twitter threads I saw running earlier today was somebody saying, yeah, I go to conferences where they put out buttons and stickers that are like, my pronouns are he, him, his, she, her, hers, they, them, their. Sometimes I know that at Trans Pride up here, they had the Z series, which is different. I'm glad that they were trying for stuff beyond they, but Z-Z-Zer, so Z-E-Z-I-E-Z-E-R, and then write your own in. So my pronouns are this. And at the end of the she, hers ones, the buttons would run out and there'd be a huge stack of the he, him, his buttons. So dudes do better. But beyond that general good life advice, you can roll into a space and just ask folks, hey, I want to respect your pronouns. What are they? And just go around the table real quick as soon as you show up. That gives you kind of a soft way to out yourself, although it is still risky. But if you feel safe enough to out yourself, you should out yourself quickly because it will give people time to adjust in the time you're spending. And it sort of lets you be a better ally because by already exposing yourself, you can stand up for other people at the table. Now, the unfortunate, unfortunate, fortunate side effect of that is maybe people wouldn't have used racist voices around you if they knew that you were already a social justice dragoon. But that's probably better for your quality of life, but worse for the world as a whole because you can't call them out on it. But it also has that risk of you might lose friends but I mean, or do you prefer like being with people who know who you are and potentially losing friends? It is a risk either way. I don't know. Honestly, the last time we talked about it, I sufficiently covered, but not everybody can be out. Being out is actually a risk, particularly at some place like Strategicon, where you literally don't know who you're at the table with and what effect they could have on their lives. Rather, what effect they could have on your life. So... In a public situation, it is really difficult, and you do have to be able to read the room. And I think that that's where it comes in. The pronoun thing is really useful because it plants seeds. Yeah. And that also allows you to make a choice, particularly if you start it. You can then control it and just have this moment where you go around the table. And if you meet someone who's real huffy about their pronouns, one, you know that person's a problem. Not a troublemaker, a problem. Yeah, well, I don't think being a troublemaker is a problem necessarily. So, no, you know, to keep an eye on them. It's like, yeah, it's also a smaller risk at Strategicon in some ways because it is pretty public. There's always some risk involved in any social situation. Usually people are pretty nice. I don't know. Because I didn't out myself, I guess I can't really speak to that. We're not necessarily asking you to speak on that. We are asking you to speculate wildly. <laughs> I think you're doing great at Yes! The only question that I then have is bring it up in like a recurring game. In the recurring game that you and I are in, it's no problem. Because everybody has kind of already known that I'm non-binary. But... Uh... <laughs> to be fair, in that recurring game that you and I are in, I'm the main game master... And I enforce that for NPCs who will get real mad at you if you screw up their pronouns too often. Yeah, true story. True story. But in some of them from historicals and stuff like that, or with my family that I'm not out to, it's just, I don't know, I'm not looking forward to having that conversation. And I might just hide it for like 
another, another, another year until everybody's dead and I never have to out myself to anyone because fucking hell. Yeah, that's called being in the closet. It's a time-honored tradition for LGBTQIA plus folks. Well, it's not great. <laughs> it's not a comfortable place to be. Um, show title. <laughs> I thought it was, well, that's a left turn. Yeah, but I like, it's not great. It's not a comfortable place to be better. <laughs> I don't know. What about for, like, uh, recurring games? Like, or if you all have, like, a... Where you make characters separately, and then you bring them in, is it a thing where you think that the GM should have, like, a moment of introducing all of the characters? Or is it one of those things that you want to, like, cinema veritas and be like, well, will it come up in-game? Did that question make sense? Okay. Yeah. I'm marveling at your use of Latin momentarily. So first of all, don't make characters separately and bring them to the table. Everybody should make characters together. But sometimes we're all adults and we don't have time. No, that's just what the first game... If you have time to get together for a game session, your first game session is character creation. It doesn't have to be the whole group. You're right. We're all adults. Sometimes a person can't make it to the character creation session. But like most of your table should be there for character creation. Don't have the whole group make characters separately then get together for the game. Just give up your first game for character creation. And if you do that, then you can introduce those concepts there. So the question of being in the closet, once you accept that you're not going to out yourself immediately, then becomes sort of like you said, when do I out myself? Or do I just wait for all these jokers to die off and make new <laughs> friends and family? Oh, man. Which we established what will probably be the episode after this now. Some of us want to live forever and some don't. So you might not be able to get all of them to die off and make friends. God damn it. If you think that the group will act differently if you out yourself, are you... And just to clarify, you are not required to be of service to anyone unless you choose to. Service is a thing that is given, not owed. But are you doing a disservice to yourself and your community and arguably the other people by waiting to out yourself. You may give your family or your friends or your recurring group a easier path to acclimation to these ideas by outing yourself. And that is, as we established earlier in the episode, a tremendous risk to you that also could cause tremendous good. And you have to balance that risk because like I said, you don't owe service to a community because you're part of a community. Particularly a community you didn't choose to be born here this is actually one of the things that has a corollary just because a person is born white with privilege they don't owe whiteness a defense you can in fact be born privileged and white and still be like wow this is really an advantage for me but it sucks that it's happening you do not owe service and community to anyone service and community is given to people on a case-by-case basis some people just happen to make that case nope you're the same group as me i'm giving it to you and that's fine for them you don't have to do that, but if you're willing to put yourself on the line in a very personal way, you could be starting those ripples that branch out among your family who currently feel no pressure to think about these concepts. And you coming out, even if they reject you, will cause that pressure to exist on them, no matter how they initially react. I guess that's true. The communities that I'm actively a part of or have been actively a part of are not usually what I think of as 
service kind of communities. I'm thinking of like a church community. You know what I mean? Like a Greenpeace community where everybody kind of gets together and like volunteers, like a volunteer community. Okay. Those kinds of things. The communities that I've been part of and am part of, like actively, I guess are like sports communities. And so to help each other is part of the reason that you're there. You can't do that thing without other people. You can't climb by yourself. You can if you're Alex Honnold. But even he sorts out the route with a partner and like needs a lot of help to free climb. People don't really think about that, but he definitely does. And to do like camping trips, to do rock climbing, you at least need one other person consistently. And that's the beginning of a community. The other one was the fencing community of youth that I was part of. We were part of. Yeah. That is how we met. That is how we met. And that's like, again, you can't fence by yourself. Well, you can, but you tend to get arrested. (laughs) Well, I mean, like, if you're going to do like a fight club scenario, but even that's like what you're going to just do like a million toe touches. Like, it's hard to poke yourself in like the thing. It doesn't work as well. I appreciate the fact that I make a joke about running around and randomly stabbing people on the street and you immediately go to the Epe Fencer. Yeah, but like in the toes, right? <laughs> because Epe Fencers unite for toe touches. No, I think the difference is that you were thinking about going and basically forcibly fencing other people with them unsuspecting it. And I was thinking like a fight club scenario where you start out the fight club and you're punching yourself, but with a fencing... Spoilers! Look... Well, it's for a 20-year-old movie that nobody who watches understands anyway. You can't hit yourself with it. You can't. You almost, I mean, like, you can, but what are you going to do? You can't really. If you flicked your wrist really hard. Yeah, you could hit your opposite wrist. Well, that would be easy, but I was thinking you could probably get your upper thigh, like, with the right flick. Yeah, you could. You'd leave a hell of a welt. But my point is that they're not, like, the same thing. (laughs) You could, like, pray by yourself. You can exist as a gay person by yourself you can exist as a non-binary person without being part of the lgbtq community well yes i think the distinction you're not making that we should probably make you are describing communities you can choose to be a part of i don't know that people actually choose things like their sexuality and their gender so much as they discover them i guess that's true or you know you don't choose your race either you're a part of that community whether you like it or not You do not actually owe that community anything. I think that you should probably, like, look at what you can do to help the communities you're a part of, even if you did not choose to be a part of them. But, you know, sometimes you're just born into a situation that it just sucks all the time. And then I would say, just try not to hurt the communities. Do you think that this distinction that I missed just now of communities that you choose versus communities that you're born into or that you realize you're a part of later in life like being non-binary or being gay i guess or maybe being trans some people find out that they're trans later in life anybody can discover things about themselves at any age carry on i'm trying to drive carefully here okay that's good trying to drive carefully the night is dark and full of fog well not here here it's full of smog Okay, but that for a lot of cis white people, especially cis white men, but also cis white females, that because in many ways 
being white is like the default in commercials or in film or a lot of other ways in like the overarching cultural zeitgeist. That is why they see, especially like the term LGBTQ community evokes a community that you choose to be a part of. Uh, well, one, I have an internal question. Is whiteness a zeitgeist? That itself is a really interesting question that I'm going to interrogate on my own off the podcast. I'm going to take that offline and think about that really hard. I don't know. It might be like Chi trying to use like a fancy word and not fully knowing. The... <laughs> That's fine. I'm actually going to think about whether you use it correctly. I don't have that answer right now. For the answer you do have, I think you have to a certain extent hit the nail on the head. When you are seen as the default and don't have to make choices, everything that is not you seems like a choice. And not only does it seem like a choice, it seems like a bad choice. This is actually the point of that question we were talking about earlier, right? The trans trending and queer trending and stuff. People are so worried about being angry at somebody for wanting to be unique that they're missing the point that sometimes challenging the status quo is in fact a highly positive thing. It's not always. You brought up Fight Club, and sort of the moral of Fight Club is that, eh, you know, conformity is bad. But also trying to be too different could also be bad. Extremes are risky. Paracelsus, you know, the dose makes the poison. I thought the point of Fight Club was that they weren't, like, happy with the status quo. But then when they made their own sort of community, they just copied the status quo over again. We do not have time to get into the point of Fight Club. But... <laughs> The, the shortest version is Fight Club is a movie about how people are very bad at interrogating their own motives and intentions. That is the shortest way I can break down Fight Club. It is not what most people get out of the film, but that film is about people who are very bad at self-analysis and project that onto the world around them. I would love to actually do a podcast about Fight Club, but that's not really the point of Dadger Wrong. So sum up, Zero. Like the whole episode? Yeah, man. We got time. We're a little over an hour. We gotta go. Okay. Encourage other people to always ask for pronouns. Check. Are you going over the outline? Yes. Shh. On the air? I was trying to just sum up, but then you called me on it. Because <laughs> the outline is the sum. I apologize for ruining your attempt to look like you had a really good memory <laughs> by just using the outline our producer wrote based on notes from the last episode. Oh, wait, no, I don't apologize the slightest bit for calling you out for doing that. Not the tiniest amount. Not an iota of apology. Fair. But, and this is good for all paper writing times when you just need to like fill out that last page or the last paragraph or so just sum up and go over your outline and it'll make you sound really good it does it works i got a lot of a's on papers in college that is also the technical format for writing an essay well then it's good advice isn't it zero it is good advice but it's not original fancy new advice but pay attention to your teachers who tell you how to write an essay listen or you could write your teachers off and then find someone that tells you to do it in a slightly different way to do. I mean, this is the internet. That one's more likely. That's like, okay, 
Okay, different tangent, but Jordan Peterson. I knew you were gonna this do is this. My cons- <laughs> fucking Jordan Peterson. I hate this clown. All he did was take all of the things that your mom and grandma told you to do and then repackage it being said by like a tall white guy. Is he tall? I don't know. I think so. He seems tall when he's standing on stage alone. Last time we talked about coming out stories and how the idea of a coming out story where the character arc of the film is a person imagining all the worst scenarios and things that could go wrong with coming out. And then the like climax of the film is them coming out and it being pretty much accepted would be like the heartwarming Thanksgiving film that this country needs. Oh my God. I would love that. It would give everybody, well, here's how not to react and here's how to react. And you get music cues so you know which one is the good one. That's a good idea. The problem, as you talked about, is the risk you're taking is real. It's not abstract, which I do want to call you out again. That is the exact same attitude that people who are like, well, there's no Asian people here we're having. You should consider the people you're standing up for as real. It shouldn't necessarily be easier. You're not taking a personal risk, but you are still helping defend people who are at risk. That's true. Bad chi. When you imagine those scenarios of what could go wrong, what are you really worried about could go wrong if you come out to your family at Thanksgiving? Because that's a topic we talk about a lot in this country. You don't want to be the troublemaker at the table and how that allows old racist people to control the conversation everyone else might want to have at Thanksgiving. Like, If you're okay with talking about them, because I understand this is very personal, what are the scenarios you're imagining, and what is your ideal scenario when you come out? Like, if this movie was being made about you, what are a couple of the horror stories, and then when we hit the climax and you came out to your family, like, what would you want them to say? Okay, so daydreaming about all of the bad things. My parents, who are just a mix of trying to be understanding, but... Like, my dad wouldn't watch Ellen for a long time. Sorry, dad. I'm throwing no, you under the dad, bus. dad, you're wrong. But, Although now, you're right. Good job, Ellen. You also have really advanced the cause of dad's being wrong. <laughs> now he's okay with her, but he's still... Well, she's also friends with George W. Bush. Yeah, so... Which goes on to say that, like, rich people have more in common with each other than they do with almost anyone else. Sorry, but also eat the rich. So yeah, so I just see like a lot of having to explain it to my parents and like, what is it? And then basically being told, well, that's not even a thing. And well, we're just, you'll always be our little girl and all of these kinds of things. It's bizarre to me that you are concerned about being called a troublemaker. It seems like the last thing you are concerned about 90% of the time. (laughs) I think it's just my cover story for all of the, like, nitty-gritty. I feel like it, it's something you found is safe to lean on, but is not at all actually Yeah, true. I would say it's like a, like a veil or a mask. It's a filter. Because I'm definitely down to start some trouble. Yeah, you are. Man, your dad. I totally believe that story. He, like, wouldn't watch Roseanne, too? Instead of unpacking that and how hard the 90s were for your dad. <laughs> Are you just then basically concerned your family will stop talking to you? Is that your concern is being essentially disowned by your family? No, I think weirdly, my dad and I, it's mostly getting to like a really knockdown, jagout fight about 
being a disappointment to my family. But I think the fear is just to be told over and over and over again, no, you're wrong. That doesn't exist. And you're wrong about yourself. I mean, that's a very reasonable fear. This is something I've talked about with other people in the past. It is a massive convenience to be able to shelve things which are uncomfortable and say, perhaps I will deal with this later. And it is not a thing everyone gets. And there's nothing wrong with using that, particularly if you feel you need to use it. But when you choose that path to say, this would be hard because it would be constant, you are making a choice many people don't get. And that choice itself is one that is very easy to gloss over because you can hide it behind various things you like. But it should also be fuel for doing the good work that you believe needs to be done. Is that memory that you can avoid talking about this situation, you can avoid this label with the people you are close to for as long as you need to. Arguably for as long as you want to, because you don't strictly need to do it except for your peace of mind. And what is peace of mind worth is its own question. But if your biggest fear is being questioned, you are doing better than a lot of people. And what you are giving up, because it would be uncomfortable for you, I want to acknowledge that and not try to downplay it. It would be uncomfortable. What you are giving up is the opportunity to teach. Because every time you got questioned and told this is not true, that's your chance to say, yes, it is. I'm right here. Mm. And this is very uncomfortable. Just call out your family for calling you a liar because they are making it personal. If that is your biggest fear, then your fear is of being questioned and not in the way most people would say that it does come down to the question of where do you want to do good in the world? Because you have limited energy. Are the ripples you could cause there bigger than ripples you could cause somewhere else? And I can't make that decision for you. And that is sort of the point of our podcast, so I'm glad that we could wrap it up with this thought. Where do you want to spend your energy causing ripples in the pond? And how big do you want those ripples to be? Maybe Strategicon allows you to have bigger ripples, right? Because those people go to other tables, and if you can spread stuff there, is Strategicon a bigger reach than your family, who maybe are a bunch of recluses like the family in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right? Like, maybe it's just not worth Leatherface coming out as non-binary because their entire family lives in the mountains of Texas and it won't reach anybody. There's not a lot of ripples there. They eat everyone who shows up. It's really rough. Maybe you being willing to have this conversation strategic on will cause a ton of ripples to spring. You'll throw a big rock in the pond and then more water droplets will fly in the air and cause more smaller ripples. And every person has to make those decisions for themselves. And we try to provide tools to help that. That is something people will need to think about, is how do you apply your energy to cast those ripples in a productive way? Follow-up thoughts? The thing that I thought we were going to be more focusing on is then what are the words that would be best used to actually come out? Because like what I would want to do and what I'm now thinking about doing is basically just making a t-shirt and like spray painting it with, I'm non-binary, I use they, them, their pronouns. Because... I don't think anybody likes having this conversation. It's like a good conversation to have, but it's one of those things that 
if you could just accept it, that'd be great. I think the thing that we've covered that you should do in this conversation is make people understand these are not preferred pronouns. Okay, we'll go from my point of view, and then once you shoot that down as being, like, terrible, we'll work together to find a better point of view. (laughs) I think you can just tell people, hey, it's not my fault your vocabulary and imagination are limited. Reality is bigger than your dreams. The stuff you make up is not all of reality, and it's not my fault that you can't accept that, and that your act of not accepting that means you are not accepting me. This is what is true about me, and I am telling you this as a courtesy because I care about you. And the conversation starts there. You are upfront with them, and if they clap back and are like, that's not real, then that's their problem for telling you what your reality is. People don't get to do that. I guess like the question that I'm looking for is like, how do you bring this up? You're, you're setting down the turkey and you're carving the turkey, or like when you answer the door and you're like, hi, Ma, I haven't seen you in a long time. By the way, I'm they, then theirs. I mean, you could do that. I think you not have conversations with your family uh we have conversations about other family members <laughs> like cousin a finally had their child and cousin b got into this school and nephew a is like working on this project in college those are pretty normal thanksgiving conversations i think at the last thanksgiving all my family talked about was politics so I know that our producer and my uncle got in an argument about adopting children. So, you know, my family's different. My family, because of my dad, basically, we have disavowed people talking about politics because my dad will just yell over people. Yeah, don't let that happen. I guess I would say it sounds like everybody knows this will happen. And the conversations you're going to have later are, why are you blaming me because dad has a repeated bad behavior every year? We need to stop enabling dad's bad behavior. Because shouting down other people's arguments is the bad behavior. You existing as a person in the world is not bad behavior. As for where you bring it up, work it very casually into the conversation. Like, did you hear about that new K-pop band, BTS? Also, I'm not (laughs) non-binary. But joking aside, it really can come up at any time it's reasonable. Or even like when you're sending out the Thanksgiving invites. Remember the pronoun conversation? Get it out of the way in the email beforehand and give those people a chance not to show up. And then if they do show up and want to cause trouble, your lineage will have revealed itself and you can ascend to a higher (laughs) plane. Yes, that's definitely my goal. Okay. I think I would rather go with the slip it in casual conversation. Yeah, your dad shouldn't get to control the conversation simply because he is incalcitrant. I think I looked up that word from last time, incalcitrant, and I think it means something slightly different. Probably. Stubbornly resistant to authority okay. or control. Fractus, refractory, recalcitrant. Marked as stubborn resistance to authority. But my dad wants to be this authority. I think that's what his resentment is, is that everyone else is recalcitrant, and that doesn't allow him to, like, be the authority. Fight, fight the power. Put on some rage against the machine, some grandson, some public enemy. In reference to our earlier conversation, start it as early as possible. It's your family. You can't actually just tell them at the door, hey, I'm using the pronouns they, them, theirs. I'll help you out if you forget. Frame it as you being polite. If you're genuinely worried and you don't want to offend your family, say, here's what I am doing. And if you make a mistake, I am happy to help you out while you are here. 
be the one who puts out the olive branch first. These are my pronouns. They're not my preferred pronouns. These are my pronouns. If you don't use them, it will hurt my feelings. But if you use them incorrectly and you're not like making a big deal of using them wrong on purpose, I will help you out because I understand that this is sort of sudden. You don't have to do that for everybody, but you can do that for your family. If your dad really wants to be the authority, maybe you can even approach him first and say, hey, I would like your help making this happen. I think I'd rather start with my brother and sister-in-law and work out from there. Okay. First of all, find the allies in your family. But beyond that, don't go into it being aggressive. I don't think there's inherently anything wrong with going into it being aggressive. But in the specific instance you're talking about, I think that you can go into it saying, this is me. I understand you may have difficulty with this. I am willing to help you through that difficulty. Do that if you can publicly even. Don't necessarily do it privately if you don't believe that will work. And then they will feel that pressure again, the social pressure, as other people do it and as they see you being gracious. Graciousness has and always will be a weapon that people will use to keep other people in line. There is no reason you cannot also use that weapon. Hmm. Anybody who knows a Southerner knows that graciousness can be a weapon. My dad failed at that. Being born in the South does not use graciousness as a weapon. Well, your dad is a guy. Well, Guys don't have to do that in the South. It's, it's a tool to win. Oh. It's the South. Guys can just shoot people. Uh, I wish you were wrong, but that's a really good summation. Yeah. I've met people from the South and your family. To be fair... Your mom's graciousness is really interesting and not Southern graciousness, I would she say. She has Midwestern graciousness, which is a different graciousness altogether. Yes, which is a different kind of graciousness. That's how I would do it. Don't be afraid to make it sort of a public announcement. Keep the group sort of as maybe in the way you described it, brother and, and sister-in-law first and then branch out and sort of include more family members. Various things will work on different families, but make it feel like, one, you're bringing them more into you, and two, you want to help them. Mm -hmm. But be firm that this is not changing about you. You will help them reach the point that is not harmful to you anymore, but this is not an option, and this is not a thing they get to decide is not true for you. You do need to stick to those points. Copy. Wrapping up get these things out of the way as soon as you can. Yes, as soon as you can being the operative word, which is not necessarily the same as immediately. I didn't say immediately, did I? No, but I'm not always clarifying for you. Theoretically, we'll have an audience. Oh, fair. Fair. She loves you, Dad, but you're wrong. Sometimes. Most of the time. I mean, oh my god, I, okay, special ending bit. I called my dad and asked him about what is the difference between, like, normal nuclear bombs and dirty nuclear bombs, and he laid it all out. He was really right. Dad, you're right about nuclear bombs. Good job. I mean, a dirty bomb just sprays more nuclear material over an area and can be done with a standard bomb, right? Yeah, but he had all the numbers, Zero, and he had, like, why does it do that? And, like, how does the how is the reaction slightly different? All of that kind of stuff. Oh, that's cool. It is super cool. I love you, Dad, but sometimes you're right about nukes. <laughs> I love you, Dad. You're, you're not right about everything. <laughs> <laughs>
you're really wrong on, on a lot of things, but nukes you got. Thank you for joining us for this odd, re-recorded episode of Dad, You're Wrong. I'm Whitney, editor and producer. Music was created by Zero. You can find transcripts and show notes at dadyourwrong.buzzsprout.com. You can also connect with us via email at dadyourwrong at gmail.com or on Twitter at dadyourwrong. That's D-A-D-Y-O-U-R-E-W-R-O-N-G. Please consider subscribing and leaving a review on your podcast platform. We'd love to hear what you think. If you have a Dad You're Wrong situation of your own that you would like us to discuss, please send us an email with the story and your questions. Thanks again, and we hope you will join us in January for the next episode.